HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode has been brought to you by Sake Man, a group of sake superheroes bringing sake to the world. This week on Meet and 3, we get ready for Super Tuesday by looking at how food shapes elections both at home and abroad. People know that you don't order a Philly cheesesteak with Swiss cheese as John Kerry did back in the 2004 cycle. A young group of friends decided that they would put up a website which told voters which polling booths had sausages. Prime Minister David Cameron was pictured about a week after this incident eating a hot dog in a bun with a knife and fork because he was so afraid. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Good evening, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food systems and policy and how they impact all of us. I'm your host, Jenna Liut, and we're broadcasting from Roberta's on Heritage Radio Network. Today, I want to broaden the scope of the waste series that I've been doing to include a closer look at the waste management and recycling industries writ large. Certainly, there are major overlaps with organics, especially since food is the largest single source, um, the largest solid material in landfills, and food packaging is the biggest user of single-use plastics, which of course don't get recycled. But what exactly happens to something when you throw it out? Where does it go and how is it processed? And what are some of the major issues facing the waste management industry today? Joining me to discuss is Ev Crundon. Um, Ev is a waste management and recycling reporter with Waste Dive and uh, Ev has a background in reporting on climate and environmental issues. Ev, welcome to the show. Hi, Jenna. How are you? <laughs> Great. Okay, so before we get started, I was listening to that preview, and I was wondering what the deal... I don't know if you remember this, but what's what's wrong with uh, ordering Swiss cheese on a Philly cheesesteak? What John um, Kerry I mean, did. <laughs> Is that elitist? I have, did I miss that? <laughs> I, I, have, I have no idea, but I mean, as a, as a vegetarian, I could give my input. <laughs> That's okay. Good. Good point. Good point. Um, okay. Sorry. That just struck me as funny. I'm like, I, I totally missed that criticism of Carrie in 2000, whatever, four. Yeah, um, talk about dairy emissions, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's get started on the real topic. Um, tell me first and foremost, why you decided to start to cover the, the most sexy beat in the world. The sexiest beat in the world. Yeah. Um, Waste management. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a funny one, and you don't meet um, waste reporters very often. Um, I, you know, I got into environmental reporting um, and was really focusing on climate change for several years. And, you know, it comes up a lot, um, not as often as it should, I think, but right. it does come up in climate reporting, um, you know, emissions associated with landfills, specifically um, sometimes with incineration. And, you know, I was always just really interested. Um, and, you know, I've pivoted now to um it's sort of the reverse where now i all cover waste all the time but you know with a climate emphasis as opposed to climate all the time with a bit of a wasteland 
Mm. Um, so, you know, just was on my way in there. There you go. There you go. Um, all right, Ev, let's, let's get a lay of the land. Who are the big stakeholders in the waste management industry? I mean, like, like how is it managed? Um, can you kind of talk about the difference between, like, the federal government, the local government, commercial, residential, private companies, processing facilities, help us, like, get a grasp on what this looks like? Yeah. So, I mean, everyone you've named is part of this very large, complex system. Um, You know, we have, it's really, the federal government has really kicked it to municipalities. Uh, So part of what makes uh, U.S. waste so fun is that it's really on a municipality by municipality basis. So, you know, you may have gone from one area to another and thought, you know, something that was recyclable now is not. That's because you're correct. It's completely changed. Um, you know, I, it's a, really a mix of there's, I hesitate to use the word monopoly, but there are a handful of very large companies that mm-hmm. really rule waste. Um, so number one is waste management. You've mm-hmm. probably seen their trucks, uh, their logo. Yeah. Um, they're the big guys. Uh, Republic, uh, number two. They're also big. You've probably also seen them. Um, waste Connections is also up there. And those are kind of the holy trinity. Um, lots of smaller players, uh, depending on your area. Um, some are big in different regions. But you have these, you know, it's handful of companies. And typically, they operate through a lot of contracts uh, with local governments. Sometimes you have, you know, one company that will have, you know, a big hold in your area. Sometimes, you know, I live in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, you'll see Waste Management. You'll see Republic. You'll see them all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it really depends... And typically, you know, the big waste companies are also responsible for recycling. Oh. Uh, you do see some recycling companies that are kind of separate, but for the most part, um, really like a monopoly on the whole <laughs> waste stream. Um, and, you know, they really deal with your government. And then you get kind of a mix, depending on where you live, um, curbside, pretty common in a lot of cities. You know, you put it outside and then someone takes it on one day of the week um, mm-hmm. and it, you never think about it again. Right. Um, That's why we're talking then, about it today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should be thinking about it, but you know, yeah. one, one imagines you probably aren't. Um, and then, you know, sometimes for things uh, like recycling, again, you know, more of a drop-off system where you might be going um, to like a, a local you know, drop-off center, essentially. So, um, okay, so these main three players, these, so there is, operates, um, just so make sure that I understand, mostly on the, like, municipality level, and so these big companies will partner, or will contract with, like, have these giant contracts with the city, and then what do they do, do they handle everything, like, pick up, what, you know, what, yeah, what is the breadth of these contracts, typically? Yeah. So, um, again, it depends, which is going to be like the magic response of <laughs> anything involving waste. Um, but, yeah, you know, typically your contract with the city could involve lots of things. Um, sometimes the city likes to handle certain components of it. Um, sometimes they've just kicked the whole thing to, like, stay republic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, pretty typically uh, you put out, you know, your trash and then republic say in this scenario um you know has um you know a truck and they'll drive up and they'll take it um a lot of times then it will go to a transfer station um Mm -hmm. that's like kind of a smaller uh midway facility then they're gonna grind down your trash and kind of like package it up and then it's gonna go to a bigger haul or like a bigger truck uh, and then it could be carted any number of places uh sometimes like states and states away depending on where you live um so it can be a very involved, very, very long-term process. And it's carted to landfills, I'm assuming? Typically landfills, yeah. You know, in a few cases, you're looking at incineration. Um, but that's, in the U.S., significantly less common. You're usually looking at landfills. Okay, so landfills are something that, like, I I feel like we all kind of have an idea of what these <laughs> of what these look like, just like giant trash heaps. But what is, like... Have you ever toured a landfill? I'm assuming that's kind of been part of something you've done. Yeah, yeah, I have. I have seen a landfill. They, you know, typically, and if you've, you've actually might even have driven past one. Um, yeah. When I was younger, you know, I, I grew up in uh, Texas and Austin, and we we have a landfill that I used to drive past and think it looked so much fun to play on, and you know, <laughs> understandably, uh, was disavowed of that notion uh, by my mother. But um, <laughs> you know, you're typically looking at like. Um, uh, they're pretty big, um, 
feel like the average is about 600 acres. Um, so you want like a pretty, pretty big chunk of land. Um, for, you know, the interests of uh, community relations, uh, you probably want it to be a little bit further away uh, from people mm-hmm. uh, as far away as you can, just because, um, as, as you'll know, if you've been to a landfill, uh, they don't smell wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you typically, uh, you, know, you know, for the value of your property, you, you don't want to be around one. Um, but yeah, you know, it, essentially, and, and this sounds so crass, but it's kind of a giant hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you're doing is you're dumping your trash basically um but you know at this at this rate in uh in, in u.s waste policy um we do have uh liner systems in place uh for virtually all landfills um so that's typically like like a clay and then um you know high density plastic uh, so you have these layers basically because you're trying to keep it from seeping into the ground okay um so you're layering the trash <laughs> like kind of in these segments mm-hmm. um and typically you know you have to cover it little layer of dirt you know at the end of the day uh keep the smells from getting out and then uh in regions where you know say you have rain or snow um you've got this beautiful thing the beautiful world word called uh leach it <laughs> which okay. is um the beautiful uh wastewater uh thing <laughs> that emerges um and then typically you have you know systems in place for draining the leach it um sending it to a wastewater treatment plant, say, mm-hmm. um, you know, you gotta, gotta deal with, with all that, all that stuff. Content. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all so the, all the fun, beautiful thing. So it's like line typically, and then kind of layered like garbage, dirt, garbage, dirt. And then they just, they just bury it. So are these, um, giant pieces of, of land typically like owned by like government owned or privately owned? That's another one where there's a mix. Um, yeah. So you know you do you do see uh, situations in which um, you know the government owns it and they just contract out. Um, you see a few where you know again our favorite players, Waste Management, Republic, Waste Connections, mm-hmm. all those guys, um, where they own it. So you know it really really mix it really mix. Okay. And then where are these typically? Are are landfills and and um, I promised to my listeners, we can move on in a minute, but I'm just so fascinated because, um, yeah, I mean, because I, I do not, um, drive by with fresh kills closing, um, having closed, well, maybe I think it's still operational a little bit, but maybe not at the scale it used to be, but, um, I don't drive by landfills very often. So it's, um, or maybe I do and I don't realize it actually. I mean, are they, they're typically like covered with grass, right? Or like, yeah, you, you'd you see, like, hills usually. Um, I think the main indicator you're driving by a landfill is you're seeing, like, what might be beautiful nature, but there's, like, intense amounts of security. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. you see, like, a big wall. <laughs> that would be a sign. All right, that's a good um, good tip. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, they're they're all over the country. Um, you know, you, you can find them uh, in most places. Um, there are... Uh, I think a little over 3,000 active um, in the country right now. Um, what is interesting is, you know, there are definitely lots of controversy around landfills. Um, you know, smells, communities don't like them. Um, mm-hmm. And so in regions like the Northeast, uh, you see dwindling capacity. And, you know, in addition to saying, oh, you can't build new sites, they're also saying, oh, you can't expand. Um, so that basically means, you know, if you're in the Northeast, um, you're either losing your landfill capacity um, and or it's being you know sent to other states. Uh, the South uh, takes a lot um, in, in municipal solid waste. Um, you know, you've got states like Alabama, um, big landfill capital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, out West is becoming more and more common. Um, and that's also, you know, a drier climate in a lot of areas. And then you're not dealing with leachage. So. Yeah. And states, I'm assuming, get paid to take this. Waste? Uh, yeah, yeah, not on a state level um, per se, but uh, yeah, for host fees are, are pretty common. Um, you know, uh, areas got to get paid, um, and that you know, I think when these companies argue um, that they're actually doing a public good, a lot of times, you know, they are actually paying a lot of money yeah. um, to these areas to, to to take this waste. Yeah, yeah, as they should, because I mean, who wants to live around a, a like a garbage dump? <laughs> exactly. Um, um, okay, so. I would imagine there was 3,000 doesn't seem like as many to me, um, but you just said active. It's, it's so yeah. 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 There are many more. I would say maybe 
I don't want to just throw numbers out there. I feel like more like 10,000 uh, clothes, perhaps. Like ever, that have ever existed, and, and yeah. they're just full all the, now? All of your garbage just yeah. sitting there, capped, capped and being treated. Does it break down, and it doesn't break down at all under, once it's buried, it just stays there forever? Um, yeah, it depends. It depends on what's in the landfill. Um, obviously, organics are going to be um, breaking down. Right. They're going to become methane, hence yeah. our, our fun little climate tie-in. Yeah. Um, you know, you have <laughs> debates about like how long it takes plastic to break down. Um, Forever. I've, yeah. I've seen, yeah, like 500 years. Uh, so yeah. definitely that's still sitting there. Yeah. Um, but really depends. Um, okay. So what are some of the biggest, um, you know, like criticisms or, or issues with landfill, especially from an environmental concern? You mentioned methane, of course, from when organics break down um, and the leaching of or was it leach it um so that's just contamination of the groundwater yeah so it's it's a mix um and you know, and to be fair um to a lot of these companies and and these sites um there are a lot of protections in place um but that having been said you know um the methane is kind of hard to avoid um mm-hmm. you know organics uh decompose um they do release warming gases um, some, you know, operators have landfill gas systems in place that are collecting it, but even then, you know, still only so much you can mitigate that problem. Um, and there are other concerns. I mean, in terms of odors, um, odors are unpleasant, but they also typically are a sign that there are like chemicals and other problems. Mm. Um, so for a lot of communities, you know, and it's definitely disproportionately lower income communities, communities of color, um, so those tend to be the people who are very close to landfills. And, you know, I've definitely talked to people who you know, report health problems, dizziness, uh, you know, their animals get sick, their kids get sick. Um, so there are some legitimate concerns. And I think a lot of it, you know, really boils down to whether or not a company is doing their due diligence. But even if they are, you know, hard to be 100% in the clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are the, um, you've been writing a lot about, um, PFAS is PFAS. PFAS, yeah. Yes. What, what are these and why are they an issue? These are fun. Um, (laughs) yeah, so PFAS, um, which have a, have a longer name, it's an an acronym, um, but they're a family of more than 5,000, uh, chemical substances and they, they're getting a lot of traction. Uh, there's a documentary that came out about them and then um, a Mark Ruffalo movie uh, called Dark Waters, um, oh, which oh, yeah. really, really scared a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and with a lot of reason, um, you know, several of them have been um, pretty definitively linked to cancer um, and a number of other uh, very bad <laughs> uh, health risks. And the thing about PFAS, um, not to alarm everyone, um, they're in the blood of about 99% of humans. And um, because of the reach of these chemicals, they're in a lot of things. And that means they're in pretty much every single landfill. Um, So, you know, increasingly, I'm, you know, as I I cover this, um, I'm seeing a lot of the companies um, really freak out. Uh, It's come up on earnings calls. It's coming up at all of their meetings. Um, You know, and I think there's two ways to approach it. One is um, there's concern that they could be held liable, um, you know, and that people will say, oh, this is a huge source of this, especially with, you know, PFAS gets into the leachate, um, gets into the air, and then there's a chance, you know, leachate goes to a wastewater treatment plant, and then it's treated, and then it's discharged. Mm-hmm. And then because the PFAS, they're called forever chemicals because uh, they don't break down, so then it's in your water. <laughs> right. So there's definitely concerns, um, you know, that they might be held financially responsible, and they don't want that mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, I think the counterpoint to that is what's better at holding something that the public doesn't want than a landfill? <laughs> you know, right. you can just, you know, take this and... It's all over the place um, and collected in this one spot, and, you know, they'd be able to monitor it. So you'll probably see a lot more about PFAS contamination, um, and understandably, there's going to be more conversations about um, community proximity to landfills because of that, I would imagine. And so these are these are chemicals that are created when, like, there is... 
like what are their man-made chemicals? They're man-made chemicals, yes. So they were originally created, um, companies like 3M, uh, DuPont, Camorras. Uh, basically, they're non-stick chemicals. Uh, uh, so anyone who owns anything with Teflon, Teflon yeah. this is probably the moment you throw it out. I've uh, been there. Um, yeah. But your, your non-stick pans, um, they're in so many things. They're in, like, floss. They're in rain jackets. Floss, like dental floss? Tech. Yeah, they're in the linings of microwavable popcorn bags. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, sorry. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but um, they're in many things. Wow. Okay. So it's like a, was sort of like a, not a miracle, but like chemical or like, too, too good to be true. Yeah. Chemical, yeah. Like a, like a, um, yes, category um, of, of chemicals that went into everything. And now we're realizing it's a really big problem. And Great. now it's in everything, including okay. you and me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I wonder who the 1% of people are who it's not, you know. Who I, if I recall correctly, they tested the blood of, like, war, war, war veterans before they had gone off to war. And that was, like, the test sample. It was, like, some very ridiculous... Okay, it's so like a hundred percent sample. Yeah, so a hundred percent of people. Okay, great. Um, all right. So, in an effort to all the obviously, you know, companies are, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more with packaging later on in the episode. But all of these companies um, are looking to the private sector in general, looking to become more sustainable in a lot of ways. Very hot topic these days, which is good. Um, but obviously, I think there's a lot of greenwashing happening. And one of the things I've seen come up more and more recently are these claims that companies are making that they are quote zero waste. What does that mean? Yeah. Zero waste is a misnomer um, yeah. that you'll see a lot. And understandably everyone thinks that means zero. It doesn't mean zero. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, typically I've seen a number of percentages put to zero waste. Um, 80 to 90% is typically about as close as you're going to get. Um, I have a lot of reasons for that, but you know, when you generally see a company saying, you know, we've set a zero waste goal, usually they're thinking like 75% and higher. Okay. Okay. And so that just means, what does that actually look like in practice? That they recycle everything or they, yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. So again, again, it depends. Um, yeah. I think know, that's I a think big a theme, of, right, for this episode yeah. with waste management. Big, There's like no no like systematic approach to this industry and it is no like regulation at the federal level seems to be the big takeaway yeah. okay all right so this depends yeah, sorry to cut you no off consistency. Yeah. yeah no no there's there's no consistency um i think how you're defining zero waste um what goes into your particular waste stream um you know for a lot of i think an easy place to start is everyone's like oh you know we're gonna try and eliminate like our food waste um you know cut that out um I think with packaging, you know, you could strive for as much recyclability as possible. Um, you know, there are various ways you can target it. Um, part of it is just, you know, the bigger the company, the bigger your supply chain and everything that goes into it. And at a certain point, it's like, I don't know, like a good exercise is just in your own life. Think about how much packaging and like how much waste comes into your home, mm -hmm. how much is exiting it. And I mean, you know, as someone who's done an inventory on like my own usage, like, you're talking like the cling wrap that like surrounds your cheese, you know, the yeah. jugs, like everything that comes in. And, you know, not all that's going to be recyclable. And at that point, it's like, well, it's a waste item. Yeah. Okay. All right. So great segue into talking more about like the recycling issue. Uh, but before we do, I we're going to take a really quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Um, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Sake Man. What is Sake Man? Sake Man are judo athletes wearing Lucha Libre inspired masks that act as sake heroes. This team of athletes moonlight as sake educational professionals spreading sake to the world. Learn more about their mission and their favorite sakes at saketotheworld.com. That's saketotheworld.com. And we're back on Eating Matters, where today I'm speaking with Ev Crunden from Waste Dive about the current state of the waste management and recycling industries and the challenges they face. 
Um, same question as for the waste management. Who are the kind of big stakeholders in this industry? You mentioned there's a lot of time overlap with the kind of like holy trinity of waste management companies. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, again, it's mostly the same companies. Um, again, our favorites, Waste Management, Republic, Waste Connections, um, those guys, mm-hmm. if you remember them. Um, you know, and you'll you'll see a few companies that are maybe more focused on recycling specifically. Um, or, you know, you have municipalities play, I think, increasingly a bigger and bigger role um, in recycling. But for the most part, you're, you're looking at pretty similar players and stakeholders. And what are the current recycling rates um, overall? And, you know, if, I don't know if you have this breakdown by, like, type, like, material. Yeah. But um, let me guess, like, zero. Not zero. That's not like, like eight. Like, how many people recycle? Like, 5% of the but population? Yeah, good, good to start really low. Yeah. Um, really low. Um, it's actually, um, I think... I think overall we're closer to like 35 percent um and these are these are guesstimates but you know it's hard to tell definitely like yeah. yeah um but i think you know as far as recycling broadly goes we're not doing great um there are certain products that are definitely more recycled um you know cardboard is a big one um much higher rates of, of cardboard recycling paper recycling um, you know, it gets much lower for things like plastics, uh, mm-hmm. which is why you'll see uh, so many conversations happening around plastics. Are there any materials that are like absolutely not able to be recycled at this at this point? Um, you know, I'm reluctant to say you, know, you absolutely cannot recycle this. I think or di- very very difficult. Things, yeah, certain things are very challenging. Um, I think you know big plastic wouldn't love this comment but you know well, there's a reason plastic bags um get get a lot of uh, a lot of uh, pushback from people um and that's that uh so a recycling facility um which is it's a materials recovery facility or a MRF um mm-hmm. you know typically in a MRF um you know a plastic bag is going to serve as a contaminant because it's, it's going to mess with the machine um so you're unlikely to find a facility that's like, yeah, I really want your plastic bags. Right. Uh, so that's a hard one. Um, you know, like cling, like film wrap is another one. Um, so these are single use. Small. These are single yeah. use plastic items. Yeah. So those are the items where I would say um, it's very challenging. And, you know, their manufacturers would say you can recycle this. But logistically speaking, I don't know that you can recycle that. But nobody does. So that's really interesting because I think that there's a like – uh, I think people just maybe don't think more like we have the tech, we can be recycling these types of pro- of packaging materials, but the industry just chooses not to. You know, I think it's, it's challenging. I think they would say, you know, a lack of education and, um, you know, a lack of infrastructure. And like, these are the reasons we don't do it. Um, I think, you know, there are a lot of environmental groups that would say, they love to use the example of like a bathtub that's overflowing because just plastic production is just ramping up and ramping up. There's more and more of it. Um, and you know, we just have like plugged the tub and all the water is coming out. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot in the supply chain. There's a lot of like virgin materials coming in. It's true that, you know, there's not a lot of education. Um, the infrastructure isn't really there. And then the companies, I think until very recently, were not very invested in solving that problem. Uh, so it's a lot of reasons. <laughs> Right. What do you mean by the infrastructure? Like, what is lacking in what we, you know, from like a recycling perspective? Like, why why don't we have this kind of infrastructure? Is it the facility? We don't have enough enough facilities. We don't have updated equipment. What are the big issues that are preventing like an expanded recycling uh, capabilities? Yeah. What I've always heard, you know, when I when I talk to people, um, you know, ask them <laughs> what issues they're facing. Um, you know, a lot of the MRFs. Uh, just like the infrastructure is just really outdated. Um, so you're talking like, you know, machines and facilities really built in like the 90s, sometimes the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a much older, different time. Also, you know, you have to think plastics really only became a huge thing in you know a very recent time frame. Um, yeah. And cardboard, similarly, you know, you have our friend Amazon um, has really you know, pioneered sending everything cardboard, um, so more and more cardboard, more and more plastic, uh, less and less glass. Um, so a lot of the, the things that were, you know, all around when these marks were being built um, no longer, you know, comprise the bulk of the waste stream and the recycling stream. Uh, so that's part of it. 
uh, technology is another one. You know, there's just like not enough tech in these things, um, you know, and uh, there's a very high um, uh, relative to other industries, a very high mortality rate uh, for both waste and recycling. Um, and, you know, some of that has to do with guys on the truck um, wow. and yeah. issues with that. Um, but then, you know, within Merck, you know, there's a lot of safety issues. Um, so you just have, you know, these very old, outdated facilities and, and just not enough in them to really meet modern demand or, or modern modern labor standards. Wow. Um, what are, this is a little bit kind of jumping back, um, you've written a little bit about number three sevens. What are those <laughs> and what's the big controversy? I feel like this is a really big three. topic that I just asked you about and like a quick side aside. <laughs> yeah, the three through sevens. Um, yeah, so plastics, typically, if you ever, this is a fun fun exercise for people, um, if you have um, a plastic, you like flip it over and you look at all three arrows, and sometimes they'll be really tiny, um, but if you squint and your eyes are good, um, <laughs> you can see the number that's in like, if you look the middle. really hard. Uh, the three arrows. Yeah, okay. they look really hard. Sometimes it's big, uh, but it's frequently small, um, and you'll, you'll see like a one, a two, a three, whatever. Um, and probably if you have like a plastic bottle, you're going to see like a one or a two. Um, those are much more recyclable. So it's a type of plastic. Fun, like, it's a type of plastic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Type of plastic. They all have fun, long, complicated names. Um, but typically when we think about three through sevens, we're talking plastics that, you know, are less recycled uh, in the U.S. They're harder to recycle. Um, I've seen a lot of programs, curbside programs, um, take them out and say, you know, we won't take these anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the ones that have less of a domestic market. Uh, so they're very reliant on foreign end markets. What, what is it? What does this typically look like? Are they like mm, washing machine detergent bottles or like what, what constitutes a typical, what did you say? It's, three sevens, three sevens, yeah. three. Yes. Yeah. Three, yeah, three sevens. Yeah. Three um, sevens. it's, it's a pretty big range. Um, and you'll realize the full extent of just like how much everything is made from plastic. If you right. start looking for them. Yeah. Um, but you know, like, like a plastic chair, uh, is like an example. Um, you know, things like the, uh, lovely, you know, food service containers, um, like the, uh, expanded polystyrene, uh, or the way you think of a styrofoam, mm. uh, that's, you know, mixed in, mixed in there. Um, you know, I think it's like a lot of types of plastic where you never thought, Hmm, I wonder what number plastic this is. Right. Um, but a good way of thinking about it is the plastic bottles and, like, you know, typically, like, you know, some, like, laundry detergent, you know, plastic containers. Those are going to be more recyclable, um, sometimes milk jugs, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, a lot of, like, a yogurt container, for example, very hard to recycle. Really? Why? Yep, just just type of plastic. Huh. Okay. I didn't realize there was a big difference between those two types of plastic like to the consumer I feel like without you know the information on the bottle or on the package which I actually find an astounding lack of labeling um, of like what is and isn't recyclable and um, and maybe it's there maybe it's just so tiny and like I don't have really good eyesight so I miss it but um, I (laughs) to me I'm like I don't see a big difference between those types of uh, plastics so it's okay, but there is. All right. I believe you. <laughs> um, okay. So what is the process, the recycling process kind of like supposed to look like? It's um, source separated, supposed to be source separated by, let's say, the consumer and um, uh, like a commercial businesses also. Then it's picked up by these haulers and brought to a like a, a processing facility. And are these typically a, a what? A MRF, right, a MRF, right. Okay, and then what happens there? Yeah, so, um, you know, typically, um, and then here's what we'll, we'll get into some terminology. Uh, so you've got single stream and dual stream. Mm-hmm. Um, single stream is, you know, increasingly what you're seeing more and more of, which is if, say, you know, you live in D.C., you have, like, you know, your cart outside, and you just dump all your recyclables kind of in together. Uh, dual stream tends to divide them out a little bit more, Um might have like paper uh, in one, uh, plastics in another. Yeah. Um, but increasingly, uh, you know, to just deal with uh, American consumers who really like convenience, mm-hmm. um, we're really migrating nationally uh, to single stream. So you have all of your recyclables, you know, they go to the MRF. And typically, you know, you sort them out. Um, MRF jams are very common, which is when, you know, some 
some well-meaning human, uh, you know, put all their stuff into a plastic bag and then they put it into the recycling bin. It comes to the MRF. It jams everything. Mm. Business stops. <laughs> they, like, fish out your plastic bags. Um, well, that's pretty commonplace. Um, and then, you know, typically whatever contaminants are in the waste stream are going to get sorted out. Um, those are going to get sent over to your nearest landfill or wherever. What's a contaminant? Um, What's an example of a contaminant? Pretty diverse. Um, you know, a lot of people love to immediately think of pizza boxes, uh, so like hmm. giant grease stain, um, and that, that yeah. is correct. Um, you know, anything that, like, paper is one of those, and, like, fiber generally, um, like, can only be recycled a certain number of times. Uh, you're talking, like, 10 times max. Um, and, you know, you get, like, I don't know, you like, pour milk on paper or something. Uh, that's an obvious contaminant. Uh, but then some things I think people think less often about um you know if your glass you know you try to recycle your glass your glass shattered it got stuck in the cardboard now you have a mess <laughs> um so that's another example um of a contaminant hmm. but the second it's contaminated um recycling potential really dwindling and at that point uh it's probably going to a landfill so wow. that can be depressing <laughs> yeah um, and uh, okay, I also like didn't realize that a little bit of a grease stain on a pizza box could render it entirely unrecyclable. Yeah, you can cut them out though. You can, yes. you can take take scissors to to your stands, and then the rest of it can be recycled. Yeah, or like a little coffee stain on a piece of paper. Like I really did not picture yep. that as a contaminant. So, um, okay, oops, uh, <laughs> on, my, on my end. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah, the more you know. Okay, so then. Oh, also, can I just say, like, we, so we have a dual uh, stream, all right? Like, we separate plastic from cardboard, and then we wrap the cardboard in a plastic bag. So riddle me that. I mean, like, I, I never, like, I'm like, why am I doing this? It's different, definitely mixing plastic and cardboard. What is the reason? Do you, do you happen to know the rationale behind that other than just, I- a, like... Contain do not it. know the rationale behind that, um, minus that, you know, probably they're trying to insulate the cardboard and protect it because they can be easily contaminated. But yeah. it's always like, you know, you introduce anything else you introduce, then becomes another player in the waste stream. Yeah. So, you know, these systems, they just get more and more complicated. Which, like, is not recyclable. I'm imagining a, a recycling bag is not recyclable, is it? Like a clear recycling bag? That's very thin plastic. Probably not. Probably not recyclable, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm super depressed. But okay. So then, so um, we, you talked about kind of contamination in the waste stream. Um, and oh, actually, sorry. Before I jump ahead to other issues, so it is. It goes into the facility, and then it's like broken down to the raw materials, and then sent back to man- the manufacturer. Is that like a super rudimentary way of describing so, the process, or what? What am I missing? Yeah. So typically, so really, you're just you're sorting it all out um, for sale, and that can be a number of places domestically, internationally, what have you. Um, You know, sometimes, you know, for certain materials, like glass is one where the market has suffered a bit and now they're trying to kind of jumpstart it a little bit. Um, And, you know, certain uh, glass manufacturers will take the glass. Um, You know, plastics, again, a bit of a challenge. Um, Increasingly, beverage manufacturers are trying to get their plastics back. Um, Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, there are those... um, systems in place uh but it, it really depends you know your recycling is going to a lot of different places so the, these like let's say beverage manufacturers are are theoretically trying to get it back to their own facilities so they can process it themselves yeah so and then this goes down an entirely uh, another path but um you know you have uh some of the big guys uh coca-cola uh pepsico uh dr pepper um they have these big uh commitments they've made essentially to um, meet recycled content minimums. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can get into this uh, later if you want, but, um, you know, there is a real lack of recycled plastic uh, in this country. Right. So increasingly they're trying uh, to work with different players to, to get those bottles back specifically. So they can handle They can process it themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about that actually. Like, um, there's been, I think, a number of reports that have come out recently that is saying that have said that w- recycling is not actually, you know, you throw it out, but then who knows where it goes? It might go to a recycling facility, but a lot of times it might not. It just is carted away to a to a landfill. Is that is that accurate? Is that really happening? I, you know, I always 
So I always think it's good to like approach things with nuance. I mm-hmm, think, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think it is true that um, recycling in this country has definitely hit a bunch of hurdles. I think it has always had a lot of problems. Um, and I think maybe people were less aware of them before now. Um, it's definitely true that, you know, sometimes your recycling does go to a landfill. Um, I think it's more likely than, you know, just like foul play or someone, you know, just dumping your recyclables into like your garbage or whatever. It's more likely that, you know, you didn't know mm-hmm. what you should have been recycling. And in perfectly good faith, you know, we're trying to recycle an item and, you know, it didn't work at your MRF and now it's a contaminant. Um, I, I think, you know, if I was, you know, going to advise someone on, on how best to approach it, a lot of it is just learning, you know, how your system works and what they take. Um, and I think increasingly, you know, the sad part is you're going to learn what they don't take. And at that point, you're going to realize, like, just how many gaps there are right. in recycling right. at the municipal level. Um, so, yeah, so that's definitely true. I think it's definitely a less rosy picture than a lot of people like to believe. Well, actually, I want to I want to put a pin that for a second. But you said, um, you know, what we talked a little bit about what recycling um, companies can and can't take. So can we play like a really fun game? And do you have like a, the top few items that you think um, in your experience in reporting you've seen are the most commonly misunderstood or you know to thought to be recyclable but actually aren't hmm I think the bags actually are a big one yeah Um, that's true yeah like I've met a lot of people who really really think that the bags are recyclable yeah um and I think honestly just typically plastics I think people really like overthink because they see the three arrows and they think oh yeah you know, this is recyclable and, like, in theory, sure. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, like, whether or not, like, like gets... your curbside program might not take 337, so you might be dutifully sticking every 337 in there. Um, and I think those are the ones that I typically see people, you know, overselling in terms of their recyclability. Mm-hmm. Um, a, sad, a sad one is glass um, because glass is actually infinitely recyclable. Um, and it, you are right that it should be. Um, but increasingly, you know, I've seen... Um, even like in the DMV area, uh, Northern Virginia has like really run into uh, some glass issues and just, you know, the market for it is, is shakier and shakier. Uh, so it's entirely possible that you're trying to recycle your glass and it's not recyclable where you are. Um, so that just means so a pretty sad one. the MRFs are just saying, we don't want it. We can't deal yeah, with this. Yeah, they're just saying, yeah, we can't take it. And then it, it gets uh, sent over to the landfill. Um, wow. Okay. Well, that's... A serious bummer. I feel like oh, the coffee cups. There's a lot of um, why aren't like to go coffee cups recyclable, or are they? Yeah. So, uh, big the- fiber would not enjoy my comments on this topic. Um, <laughs> typically, they they are not typically, and the reason I'm saying they are not is that um, you're usually looking at like a fiber plastic blend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because that's like your, your typical, I don't know, you, you go to Starbucks, say, uh, a company very relevant in these conversations, mm-hmm. and, you know, you order your coffee, um, and it, it comes with that blend, and then you throw it out. And so a lot of the fiber companies argue, oh, well, actually, it is recyclable if you just, like, did X, Y, Z. But the actual feasibility of doing X, Y, Z uh, is pretty challenging. Um, what is X, Y, Z? Anytime you have a mix. Sorry, oh. what? Sorry, sorry, oh, sorry. Um, I'll ask in a minute. You said anytime you have a mix of materials. Yeah, anytime you have a mix of materials, um, it's very hard uh, to recycle. And and that even you know, plastics. A lot of times, you know, you start to mix types of plastics, and at that point, it's very challenging. So, uh, what are you said? You know, you have to do like X, Y, Z. So, what's an example of like hoops you would have to jump through to recycle a coffee cup? Yeah, I mean, really, to be able like if it's composed of like a plastic, you know, fiber combination, um, it would have to go through very specific treatment um, and go to very specific locations. And the likelihood of your municipality, uh, your waste contractor, anyone being able to make that happen um, is just so infeasible that, you know, they're virtually non-recyclable. So, and I think it's one of the big takeaways for me is that, like, which I also didn't realize, is that what you can recycle 
varies so drastic or what, what, you, what you can recycle, what will be accepted for recycling will drastically differ depending on where you live. Oh, definitely. It's completely. And uh, one municipality might have a completely different program than one right next to it. Um, okay. Well, that's great. Um, and <laughs> um, all right. So what are some of the other issues kind of facing the industry today? Um, there have been there's been a lot of capacity issues that that we have mentioned, um, you know, or like throughout this episode. Has this always been an issue uh, facing the industry or was there something that kind of triggered it? Um, I mean, in terms of uh, recycling or in terms of landfills? Recycling, recycling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So recycling, um, and this is, you know, one of those, those sagas um, in that, you know, there was a lot of buildup. Um, it's true that uh, Americans have never been uh, very good at recycling or mm-hmm. at understanding, and then not necessarily, you know, their own fault. Um, again, municipality to municipality. Um, but, you know, just a long history of contamination, um, general lack of knowledge about the system. And for a very long time, um, you know, we exported uh, three through sevens, um, a lot of our contaminated recyclables, and they typically went uh, to Asian markets. And then Q. <laughs> The crash of uh, 2017, 2018, um, when China implemented um, what everyone in the the waste is called a national sword, uh, the official title. Um, you'll hear them just talk about it flippantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that policy basically banned um, a bunch of the recyclables and then also implemented ridiculously low uh, cutoffs for contamination um, to the extent that there was just no way uh, that the U.S. was going to meet it. Mm-hmm. And so China basically had a hard stop and was like, we're not taking it anymore. Um, and then a number of Southeast Asian countries similarly said, yeah, we're not going to take it anymore. <laughs> um, and at that point, um, really, really deep ramifications um, for U.S. recycling because, you know, all these contracts and these programs all just set up around the idea that no matter what, your recyclables are going somewhere. And... And they weren't going there anymore. Um, so that's really, you know, if you, I don't know why you would do this, but if you ever happen to listen to like an earnings call for a major waste company, um, you know, you'll hear a lot of talks about, um, you know, soft commodities markets, um, you know, and just like the decline of foreign end markets and, and how they've really crumbled. And that's all about, you know, this wider issue. Um, and in light of that, uh, you know, increasingly uh, municipalities, uh started looking at their recycling programs saying, oh, we need to make cuts. Um, and, you know, there's definitely been some alarmism. Um, I've seen, you know, people say 300 programs have been cut nationwide or any, as high as 3,000 programs have been cut. Um, and my publication actually tracks uh, those cuts. And, and we've come out closer to 70, which is significantly lower. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still notable. Um, that's, that's still significant. Um, and I don't want to downplay that. Uh, communities are definitely struggling, um, you know, and a lot of it is like, you know, so some, some, you know, communities have just suspended their curbside, um, a number have just cut different items, again, 337s, um, those popular little, little guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's really just a lot of fallout and, and very much ongoing fallout uh, that, that's still playing out now. So, okay, so these, so these municipalities are just saying, like, we have to stop the recycle, like, picking up. We have to stop all recycling because we don't have the ability, we don't have an end market for it, meaning like they are, there's nowhere they could take it to they, or they can't afford to do that or like what, what is the breakdown? Yeah, it's, I mean, essentially both. Um, it's, you know, there's really, it would be so expensive uh, to find, um, you know, kind of a market for it. Um, there's really no domestic markets uh, for a lot of those items. And then, you know, maybe you could, there are a few countries that will still take them, um, but just like, you know, it's thinner and thinner. And a, a huge market like China is very different than, you know, a smaller market, smaller country. Right, right. Uh, okay. So just, just drying up increasingly, yeah. So they have to pay an enormous amount of money to um, have this taken away, carted away. Got it. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, let's... Uh, what do uh, I think we're, we're I want to talk about um, federal or just kind of like so policy solutions and what that market looks like in a minute. But just real quick, I can't imagine that like Germany, for instance, is fa- are facing is facing 
some of these issues. So what are what are other countries? How are other countries making it work? And actually, is my assumption that there are other countries that are, you know, much better at like waste management and recycling than we are. Um, so if there are, what are they doing that we're not? Um, you know, I think, and then I, I'm very U.S. Uh, focused in my coverage, but I, I think it ranges in other places. Um, Europe has a lot of incineration, um, which is a very controversial topic. Okay. Um, and, you know, they have they also have much higher recycling rates. Right. Um, so, you know, across the EU um, specifically, you'll see higher rates. Um, Germany is a country that I believe has um, pretty high incineration rates, uh, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, some of the other, like maybe Scandinavian countries, uh, kind of a similar deal. Um, so, you know, that's part of it. Um, part of it is also is just, frankly, U.S. consumers generate a lot of waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're pretty unique in the amount of waste that we generate. Um, just, you know, convenience culture, Amazon, uh, we love to go, <laughs> um, all of those things. So it's kind of hard to make those comparisons. Um, but, you know, I think you you look at, like, a lot of countries that have really become the dumping ground uh, for Western countries, and, you know, they're dealing with a much different situation where it's like they have all of their own waste and then they have everyone else's waste. Um, right. So different different ends of the spectrum, um, and I don't think anyone's really come up with a silver bullet. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's talk about some policy solutions. There's been a lot of movement on this front lately. Well, for, like first of all, let's so just to be totally clear, there is no federal regulation uh, or legislation currently in existence that would govern like broadly these municipalities and and make certain mandates is that is that correct yeah it's mostly i mean you know there's like policies here and there but but for the most part um you know federal government stances this is up to the municipalities okay and and not even the state the like the states it's like really kind of local city level yeah it gets gets kicked down in different ways um you know states states have some controls obviously um but really it's it's a very granular very local level um set of processes Okay, but recently there have been a lot of kind of bills proposed at the federal level that have gotten a lot of attention. Um, can you um, can you tell us about a couple of these, the big ones? Yeah, um, so it's actually uh, yeah. If you're, if you're someone who's following recycling policy, big time for you. Um, <laughs> but um, there's actually been um, like a, a pretty notable uh, influx of bills, um, and we're we're similarly uh, tracking those and. It's interesting to see uh, the trends play out. Um, you know, there are some very notable industry-backed bills, um, and you can kind of get uh, get a sense of, of what industry wants by looking at the bills that they support. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a mix. So um, a very popular one uh, with industry and with everyone, actually, uh, environmental groups very much included, um, is the Recycle Act. Uh, and that is really education-focused. Um, it's in the Senate, I believe. And that one um, would really pump money in and grants into just making sure people learn, like, what they can recycle, um, you know, outreach, uh, teaching people, uh, creating, you know, kind of some uniform things across the government, um, you know, making, like, maybe universal symbols um, that everyone can recognize, uh, things like that. That's a pretty popular one. Um, You have Recover, the Recover Act. Uh, which I believe is in the House, and that's one that's more infrastructure-focused. Um, so we talked a bit about infrastructure, the merchants need help, <laughs> what mm-hmm. have you. Um, obviously, a lot of industry players uh, really like that. Uh, some have pushed back on that, um, which I found interesting. Um, you know, they argue that, uh, well, we want education before we want infrastructure, because if you upgrade our infrastructure first and no one's been educated, well, then we're just going to waste it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've, I've actually interviewed a few people um, in the industry who have said, actually, no, uh, we need the education money first and then help our infrastructure. Okay. Um, and then, you know, you have kind of these in-between bills, um, and this one has a fun name, uh, Save Our Seas 2.0, because 1.0 already already passed. Uh, Trump administration uh, signed it. Uh, 2.0 is, you know, kind of the the second coming, um, quite literally. Um, (laughs) And that one has already passed the Senate. 
And that's an interesting one. Um, it's focused very much on um, plastic pollution, uh, marine debris, and you see a lot of industry support. Um, you might be wondering why plastics companies support it. Um, environmental groups are wondering the same thing, <laughs> and that's why they don't really support it. Um, you know, They're like, there's, there's got to be something we're missing here. <laughs> there's, there's, there's some questions. Um, the, the main criticism I've heard is it's very um, end-of-cycle focused. Um, you know, it's very, how do we fish plastic out of the ocean um, and, you know, finding solutions for plastic that's out there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of uh, groups, and, you know, and I don't, don't want to say there, there are definitely some uh, environmental groups that do support uh, that bill, but, you know, there are a number that basically say, oh, the real issue is like, you know, beginning of cycle and, and really, really targeting the supply chain, mm-hmm. um, which leads us to... Uh, the very fun and controversial uh, Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, uh, which was introduced, I believe, in both House and Senate. And that guy is a big one. Um, And it really has it all. Um, If you're industry, you call it uh, the kitchen sink approach, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, throw everything you've got. Um, And, you know, I don't think its chances of passing are particularly high right now. Um, But... You know, it, you know, for example, um, would ban a number of things, um, you know, targets things like the bags, uh, sanded polystyrene, that's styrofoam we were talking about. Um, Just outright ban know. them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there, there are caveats or some things. I think uh, it's straws are, are banned, but, like, could be provided upon request uh, mm-hmm. for disability issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so some, some controversial things like that. Uh, it would, there would be a national uh, uh, bottle bill Um basically like a, a national container deposit system. Hmm. Um, you know, their uh, extended producer responsibility, EPR, um, which is, you know, this idea that uh, the manufacturers really need to take ownership um, of their products. Right. Uh, so that's that's written into that. Um, so basically, like, you're required to get your bottles back mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, you know, you yourself take it upon yourself to get your bottles back. Um, so that's a lot of components like that. Um, recycled content minimums. Um, it really, it really has it all. Uh, it's quite the bill. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. Um, and then the other one is uh, it's kind of been sitting there for a while now, actually, um, which is the Zero Waste Act, uh, which uh, Ilhan Omar um, from Minnesota introduced. Yeah, and she built it at the time as you know key part of the Green New Deal. Um, so watch the space because it could it could come back to, to be an interesting one. Yeah, but but similarly, you know, kind of deals with um, source reduction, but also with infrastructure. Um, it has has a few different components. Okay. Um, but you know, altogether, I mean, it's it's a very very diverse uh, range of approaches mm-hmm. to tackling these problems, and I think really represents how many different stakeholders and interests uh, are involved in this conversation. Yeah. What is the? I mean, any. Also, I mean, it's an issue that seems like it needs to be tackled from a variety of different like angles in order to really move the needle. Um, so that's good, a positive thing, I would say. Are there any anyone's emerging that, you know, it, it seems like, for instance, the break free from plastic bill, like you talked about, not, I don't want to say dead in the water, but like probably not going to go very far, especially in this current like uh, deregulation friendly environment that we're in? Yeah, I think, you know, I, and I, and I've talked to people on all ends of the spectrum. Um, I think general consensus is if any of them have a chance, uh, it's going to be Save Our Seas 2.0, the fun named one. Um, I've even heard them say they're going to work on a Save Our Seas 3.0. So stay tuned. Um, But, you know, I mean, that one, you know, so much of getting your bill passed is buy-in in house and Senate. Um, Anything with bipartisan support, wave it or shot. Um, you know, again, it is a very deregulatory political climate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are some things that kind of seem dealy right now. Um, you know, I would say Zero Waste Act, uh, Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act, um, I'm not giving them great odds right now, um, right. with the caveat that, you know, I mean, by the end of this year, uh, things could change dramatically. Right, um, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting to talk to industry and, and talk to these companies because 
while it's clear, you know, what they would prefer <laughs> and then what might work best for them, um, it's also very clear that they seem to know that, you know, the wind could turn at any minute. Uh, mm-hmm. So what stands a strong chance right now uh, might not later and, and vice versa. And what has industry response um, been to kind of some of these uh, I mean, some of these issues that have cropped up, but also like the the response from like elected officials. Are they trying to fight this or are they um, a little bit more like amenable to the idea of being more regulated? Um, I think, you know, industry is at kind of an impasse in that they really I think they're open to you know, admitting that a lack of regulation has hurt in some ways, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, having everything vary from, you know, city to city, county to county uh, has not really helped the industry at all. Um, It's it's really caused a lot of problems. Um, However, I think, you know, it's kind of the golden rule that industry does not want to be regulated. Uh, So, you know, I think it's interesting to talk to them, um, a lot of these companies, because, you know, they really do need help. Um, and I, I think increasingly they're saying they need help, um, but they're also really averse to too much help. And also they really want to shape what that help looks like. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, is not surprising. Uh, okay. So we have to wrap up in just one minute, but I want to, um, I want to ask, uh, for our listeners, what can, you know, we do sort of on an individual level to help address some of these issues, like specifically with regard to recycling beyond kind of educating ourselves, how can like, you know, an individual help encourage, um, and like prop up the market, I guess. Prop up the market. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's always, you know, kind of, uh, the golden question um i think you know obviously the more you understand like whatever your particular recycling system is um you know the better empowered you are to like do it responsibly and then and then you know share that information with others i think you know something that really stuck with me um, when i first started covering the speed and then i came in thinking i knew something about waste and mm-hmm. huh, that was folly um <laughs> but you know and I, I think that's true for all of us but i think you know when you think of like three arrows and you think of recycling i don't think i realized to what extent it's important to purchase products you know made with recycled material mm-hmm. um and then to ensure you know, just as you buy something made of recycled material uh, doesn't mean that it can, again, be recycled. Um, so really making sure that you kind of choose your purchases and, and the things that you acquire with the understanding both, you know, that it came from something else and that it, like, could, again, go towards being something else. Um, and just, you know, continuing that cycle, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that, that can look like a number of things. But I think the more that you um, really just, like, stay aware of, of what you are like bringing into your life and also of like what its end use is and, and, and what it's going to be afterwards. I think that's really like the best thing you can do, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, such a, such a long-term thing that you've built over time. But yeah. um, I actually, I actually think that's probably the most important part of any, you know, personal recycling practice. Yeah. Behavior change. And where would, where can we get this information? Like from our local, uh, sanitation departments in terms of like the what what they are currently accepting and not accepting. Yeah, so um, it's my favorite answer. Um, it depends, <laughs> <laughs> but I you know I think I think you can usually access you know your your city or your county or you know maybe you're in a rural area. Um, you can typically you know get in touch um, with any officials or hopefully they've got it on the website. Um, if, you know, if you're lucky, they have it on the website, um, and then you'll you'll see kind of how your city interacts with it. Um, I know, for example, if you're a DC resident um, and you're in a multi-family housing unit, I believe of more than four or four or more. Um, at that point, you know, your building uh, is in charge for you know the contracts and everything. Hmm. Um, so that might be a matter of you know talking to your building. Um, I'm oh, sure wow. New York uh, similarly complicated system. Um, you know, so you might have to figure out little nuances like that. Um, and then once you figure that out and then once you know, you know, who, who, whether it's one of these guys like Republic or Waste Management, um, or maybe it's a smaller, smaller local hauler, um, you know, once you figured out, uh, who you're dealing with, um, at that point you can really get an idea of, you know, what's, what's allowed and what's not. 
Um, okay, last question: Where can our um, where can our listeners go to um, learn more of these issues and track you know some of the uh, ongoing like legislative proposals? That's one thing. And then personally, if if people wanted to follow your work personally, where can also where where can they find it? Yeah. Um, well, I, I write for Waste Dive, um, so it's just wastedive.com, um, and we're currently tracking um, many elements of this, um, you know, the, the bills that are coming in. Um, we have a tracker going for um, like recycling legislation in Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, we're tracking the uh, curbside cancellations, um, and you can actually, um, we're doing it for all 50 states, so you can go and you can look up your state and you can see um, how National Sword and all that fallout has um, impacted where you live, mm-hmm. which can be nice. Um, and then more broadly, you know, I think you can follow a lot of this on just the state and local level. Honestly, by going to your government website, um, COG meetings are, are pretty good spots to learn about um, recycling and waste issues. Um, so, you know, if you're suddenly flushed with free time, which I'm, I'm sure everyone is uh, in our calm world, um, you know, that, that's an interesting way to, to learn more um, on a municipal level, just because really, I mean, it's, it's very localized and then probably is very specific to, to where you live. Right. Is that called, called like community boards? Uh, called, yeah. So, yeah. So, like, uh, Council of Government. Okay. All right. Great. Um, so many great acronyms that uh, I have uh, so learned. Many. Yes. Um, um, today. All right. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. But Ev, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed learning more about these these issues. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Okay, I also want to give a, a big thanks to our sponsors. Um, our show engineer is Cheat Paul, and uh, show music is by Tim Archer. All episodes of Eating Matters are available on the HRN website or as a podcast wherever you find them. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, leave me a comment, let me know what you think. I'm Jenna Liute, and thank you for listening. Eating Matters is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right-hand side of our homepage. Thanks for listening.